0: The following podcast may be explicit. Shedcast presents Adventures from the Shed, a tabletop RPG podcast. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com. Welcome to another sidebar episode of Adventures from the
1: Shed. In this episode, Mickey, JJ, and Joe share their views on the roles of both players and the GM in developing a living, interactive world with a content rich environment. Enjoy the podcast.
0: Hi, and welcome to Adventures from the Shed for a special sidebar podcast today. I'm Joe. I'm here with Mickey and JJ, and we're going to talk a little bit about adventure creation and content within adventures. We're getting ready to start our own adventure in a campaign in the world of Dungeon World, it's going to be a fantasy campaign, and part of the purpose of this sidebar is to gather ideas from the players and find out what it is we want to put in it, and then everyone can be the judge of how well I did. <laughs> With that, uh, I'll turn it over to Mickey just here just to, want say to say hello
2: hi. to all the beautiful people out there. Both hi, of the, everyone! Oh, both of, oh, the beautiful both of you! Yes. Please subscribe, give us comments, rate us, tell us how we're doing.
1: And find us at adventuresfromtheshed.com. Adventuresfromtheshed.com is the happening place to be. It is. You can... You can uh, I
2: need affirmation. <laughs> you need
1: affirmation? You need to do cookies?
2: I need cookies.
1: I want a pat on the head as well.
2: <laughs> oh, you know,
0: I don't have a button for plus one pat on head. Oh, We'll get that. Though. Do we have thumbs up? there? Well, there's the like button that has a thumbs up, right? Can we have a poke? We have a so he pokes individual people. We don't have a poke.
2: We need beaver pelts. All right, that's We enough. do need
0: beaver pelts, <laughs> and that's JJ contributing. Say hi.
1: Hello, this is JJ here, and uh, we will be talking about adventure content today. And I have. Lots to talk about, so let's see how this rolls.
0: <laughs> and and um, although this is going to be released later, it is December 12th. I got my Dungeon Master Guide on December 9th, just like Amazon said I would. And we have that on the table here, so there might be oohs and ahs as we're looking at this book <laughs> during the evening. It's very pretty. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, The, the Dungeon World book as well, that's a huge one, uh, especially for our podcast. But let's kick it off. Let's talk about... Uh, To start, the beginning of the adventure, uh, and and, um, for those listening, myself, I've mostly been a game master, a dungeon master. I think JJ has had a similar experience. We've both played, but not as often. Mickey, however, has just been a player Mm -hmm. in the games. So we have multiple perspectives here. Or by multiple, I guess I mean two. Two. Yeah, two (laughs) sides of the coin. There's really
1: only two sides to the coin, so. Um,
0: so... So when... Mickey, when you start an adventure, what is your preferred method of starting? Is it uh, something like learning each character as you go along and then finding out how they're linked? Or do you like the stereotypical, you're all starting in a tavern, you all know each other, and some guy wants you to help them?
2: I do not like the second option, although I don't really see a way of doing it any other way when you've got a group of people that you bring together together for a couple of sessions, the ideal setting for me would be one where the characters come together organically and as you you go along your merry path, you kind of build into this storyline that intertwines each of the characters in the game. To me, that's the most fun because then I get to meet the characters, get to know them, I get to know the players a little bit better in that scenario versus, you know, all of a sudden you wake up and you're, in a room somewhere with five people you don't know.
0: <laughs> in a tavern, specifically, drinking Well, meat. you know. Right. Um, uh,
2: and it happens in real life, but we won't go right. there right now.
0: Do you have an example of a, uh, the start of a game that you enjoyed?
2: Ooh. Hmm. I can't think of one offhand. I can think of ones where I didn't enjoy the start. <laughs> the starter and set? It, it's not, I mean, the starter set yeah. was... It, it was an isolated event, you know, that yeah. couldn't be helped.
0: It, it, I just, we had a great group of people to play, so it was a lot of fun regardless of the start. Correct. Um, but it was one of those, you all start together. right?
2: I think we had one campaign where it was like um, my character was off camping on, by herself and like a group just happened to, to come along and um, kind of saved her from some bandits or whatever who were attacking her unbeknownst to them she could have handled herself
1: was that that one shot i ran
2: yeah there was like a one shot that you so ran it was
1: uh kevin and kevin and cat
2: yeah and you know how <laughs> so
0: many people with the same first letter
2: kevin kevin cat and, <laughs> and mickey and mickey and that <laughs> was that was neat because and we were,
0: nice. <laughs> don't
2: go there i didn't but we were playing with a group of you know novice players We were all novice players and mm-hmm. we were all looking at to jj as you know the DM and the, the ruler of this world, that was a nice start because in that sense, I think that was a good intro to some novice players to, just to get more flavor, more of a flavor for the game versus getting railroad, railroaded during like an encounter session. Yeah.
1: Fair enough.
0: Was that in D&D, fourth edition? It was
2: D&D.
1: It was fourth edition, was. yeah. I was just trying to give them a taste to see if they would like it. Mm-hmm. And, um... I tried to keep the – I came up with an adventure on the fly on the top of my head off of a book I read, and I just tried to kind of incorporate the elements. It was a little bit R.A. Salvatore, a little bit wow. hmm It, cool. <laughs> it was just kind of worked so- out. <laughs> you know, we had the Frostmourne from the Lich King and cool. – <laughs> It um, well, was good time. It, it, it worked. Um,
0: when you draw on the resources you know, you're able to provide better information for the exactly. Players,
1: yeah. And the the more in depth the information, the more real the world seems. Absolutely. Um, now the conversation we're having is: uh, Do we like a scripted start and a scripted conclusion? Yeah, specifically,
0: make um, uh, you mentioned before we started that whole railroad <laughs> idea. It's a, it's a common theme.
1: Throughout. So. When I'm doing a one shot, or if I'm doing what I think is going to be like maybe a month or two months, I, pref- as a DM, prefer doing the scripted start simply because trying to get everyone together is like hurting cats.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me, um, let me interrupt you for a second. When you say like a month long, how many hours of play are you saying? And, and I use that reference because, of course, we're releasing twenty-four to hour.
1: thirty-two hours okay. of actual playset. Like every Saturday, eight hours. Okay, something like that. Um,
2: we're hardcore players. That's a lot. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, that's,
0: that's a substantial amount. Considering it is. that it, an hour podcast, we've released about fifteen hours so far over four months. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um. So when I, when I when I'm talking about that, I, I need a script to start in order to get the players together because. People, at least the players I play with are very experienced, very old school. They like to make these incredibly in-depth characters, but they, none of them have the same goals at all. And so in order to get them on the same track and to get into the adventure, and then we can explore the other goals, we had to, I had to get them into a cohesive whole first. And the only way I can do that is a scripted start. The best um, alternative to that that I've found is when I can get all the players ahead of time to create their characters together, mm-hmm. have a backstory starting <laughs> with Give them my already merged,
0: laughter, as I consider the possibilities of that actually happening. <laughs> and that's but,
2: but even with a scripted start, there's good ways and bad ways, and I've I've experienced both. I've experienced some, you know quote-unquote railroading at the beginning where the characters come together and it's scripted start, but it's still kind of organic. And I've experienced others where all of a sudden you're kidnapped in the middle of the night and you're taken to some strange room.
1: So (laughs) there is that one, which that's a a hard, hard, you know, when you're kidnapped in the middle of the night, you wake up and you're surrounded by people you don't know. Like Mm -hmm. that's so boring and cliche. The adventure I had you guys do the one time was... You were all in an area to make your fortune, mm-hmm. and you all happened to meet up at the bounty board because they were trying to clear this vast wilderness so that it could be habited. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were looking at it and they're like, "Ooh, giants are worth this much. Well, we can't yeah. take off a giant by ourselves, so maybe we, <laughs> we team up." Yeah, and it just it just that happened worked. because you guys you guys were all willing to work together. You guys had goals that were matching, mm-hmm. so. But there's some people who just don't get that hint sometimes, I swear.
2: <laughs> you got to beat them over the head
0: with it. So let me take a little stab at this one. One of the things that I like to do, and this goes to this is something that you were saying, JJ, in that when you first get your players together, one of the things I'll address, and it goes along with this, although it's kind of outside of what I originally intended here. When you get the players together, one of the things I need to say when we start, and I think I said this in a previous podcast, was... The players need to agree that the in order for a long running adventure, the characters need to be cooperative. There is no other choice. I like to say conflict not combat. Mm-hmm. The players it's awesome to have conflict between the, the characters. When uh, Mickey's character, regardless of which one it is, if there's a wizard in the group, she says fucking wizards. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that conflict between those characters is essential to entertainment as well as fun within the game. But when it comes to blows, when it comes to I want to shoot the wizard in the knee, I, I say we need to step back. So the, the first start is make sure you understand your characters need to be cooperative for this game to last. And, and once we can get that ground rule set, it becomes a lot easier for the, the players to then understand their characters need to talk to each other. You know, it, 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 that has then become essential. So even if it's a scripted start and everyone's in the tavern together, maybe they're going to clink mugs together rather than start saying, who the hell is this guy sitting next to me, right? And yeah, they know they need to be cooperative there. And, and um, I'll, I'll step it to the next section I won't talk about here. When, when we say that, all right, so now we have all our characters together, whether it's scripted or some... Background that we already have. When you're talking about an adventure that's going to span multiple sessions, close to a campaign, if not several one shots essentially, do, does it need to start small? um in your own opinion does it need to start small and then work up to big an example i have up here is you know is your first adventure you need to get go get the rats out of the merchant's cellar, um and then by the end of the campaign you're saving the castle from the red dragon uh, does it need to start so small and work up big and i know some of it's going to depend on the the, the system you're playing whether you start at level one and end up at 20 or um where the players sit within the hierarchy of the world but how jj how do you feel the adventure has to progress does it need to start that small
1: i kind of like it when it starts that small i like um the the randomness that can happen at first level can go toward a lot to helping you build your character like If you're the barbarian and you had the most hit points at level one, but you're always throwing yourself in, you know, harm's way and you're always the first one to go down, you know, level one, two, and three, you know, then the rest of the party starts calling you Nancy because
0: (laughs) you go into a rage when someone steps on your toe.
1: You know, like so it's it, it helps build the character, it helps build the backstory. I like the starting small thing. Um I don't really think that, at least in some of the camp, in some of the settings, that like Dungeon World. I know lends itself to starting anywhere you want. Like, yeah. You can start big, you can start small. D and D can also do that, but you have to be almost like in a war setting, maybe, mm-hmm. so that you have um, NPCs to help you achieve those huge goals in the beginning. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I agree. I, I like. I like when. It starts small and and builds not just, you know, everything that you stated, but also it helps me as a player kind of get into the character and, you know, test it out, feel it out, figure out its quirks, her quirks usually, and also um, the quirks of all the other players. It it helps build camaraderie amongst the team when you take down small targets and then you figure out each other's tactics and how how each of the characters work. And then by the end of it, You're like a well-oiled machine. You can take on that dragon, no problem.
0: You find out who's in it for the money, the loot. You find Mm -hmm. out who's in it for the tactics. And you find out who's in it for the exploration. And you start to take advantage of those. Now, we say start small. um, And I use the example of clear the rats out of the merchant cellar. Small can also be um, defeating goblins. And those goblins, however, might be attacking a village. And you could actually save a whole village. That could seem like a nice big thing. Uh, How does that strike you as like a starting thing is it important to save someone or help someone how to and not necessarily just starting but
2: early on in an i mean adventure. intrinsically i mean why do we play this game because we want to play heroes i like, think mm-hmm. that's why i play you know yeah. i get to be a hero for a couple hours once a week uh, usually pretty badass and too, I'm pretty right? pretty badass most <laughs> of the time right so how in real life i never get to uh, to, to do that you know I never get you don't to slap s- people around at work. I don't get work. to slap people around at work. I don't get to swing a quarterstaff and crack yeah. people on the head. So, I mean, I love that. I love that I can put on or I can enter this world where my character saves a village, saves a town, and, and becomes like, you know, the hero of Fondolin, or Fandolin, <laughs> however you want to say that.
0: it. Where they have pecan pie.
1: And with the starting small thing it helps with the okay so we we defeated the goblins like stepping from our world our real world to defeating goblins that's that's a fairly easy logical jump you know stepping from our world to defeating a dragon the first time around that's 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 much more mythological much more gamey so to speak but if you start off with the goblins and you can start immersing yourself in that world okay so now we we got, we got about well, we got the goblins now we're going after the uh hop goblins and the orcs and you, you start your immersing yourself into the monster into the lore and you build yourself up to that storyline you can see yourself you know killing that dragon now
0: mm-hmm. so that immersion is is very That's- useful then that that Progression from something that so is so we go semi- for something mild, right.
2: yeah.
1: To and,
2: it all goes to, towards building the world for the character and immersing yourself in that world. And the more the more details and the more adventures you have, the more interactions, the more battles, the more discussion, the more real it becomes. Mm-hmm. At least for me, yeah, I can see the movie in my head as I play better.
0: Oh, and I like that reference because one of the things I like to do when I run the game is to to, to set the scene, where are you in the scene? Where and, and sometimes I even use a reference of the camera. Where's the camera pointed in the scene and how does that play out? And I think that character immersion is very important. It's something I strive for personally, that if you're um, fighting the goblins to save the city or just clearing rats out of the merchant's cellar, that merchant has something in it for you or the city is going to be thankful for what you've done. Hopefully by the end of whatever happens your name is known somewhere mm-hmm. if nothing else that merchant knows that your character has helped and you get that discount at his shop or you get the free food when you show up if you save the town maybe they name the fountain in the middle of the town after you there 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 has to be something that connects your character to the event when i play and, and that's kind of what i what i look for and i think that helps and we'll go to that highlighted point there that we brought up before we started the, the actual description of the world and the non-player character. So the things that the GM actually controls that, if they are described enough to help paint that picture, to set the scene, to show where the camera is pointing, what's happening. So if you happen to be approaching through the forest at sunset and you're going from west to east, the the shadows from the trees fall ahead of you. Your own shadow is on the ground. There's the bright orange uh, sunlight from behind you. The leaves are falling. You set that Seeing the okay, more hemingway. description what's up <laughs> Is said <that> okay hemingway <laughs> <laughs> but you start to set that description and one thing mickey that you mentioned before we started was that helps get you into it
2: absolutely it helps me get into the mindset of the character and helps me it eases my transition into full immersion in the world because and that that works for me and i think it, it it's partly due to my intro to dnd i mean i didn't grow up Playing these games, I didn't grow up reading about I did, these. Books. I didn't grow up. <laughs> I didn't grow up. Period. <laughs> but we won't go there. Right. So it it serves as a jumping off point for me to like enter this fantasy world. And it it helps because I mean I I look at it it's a it's a movie in my head when I'm playing, and I I picture all the characters and their scenery. We're in New Zealand going through. Of course, it's always New, <laughs> it's Zealand, always New Zealand. It's always New Zealand. You know, it's so picturesque. Yeah. that helps me. It helps me get into the mood of the character. Helps me play better. I think. Um, but of course you can go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> And you get too descriptive, which, I mean, I have not gotten to a point where a DM has been too descriptive for my taste. So if I ever cross that bridge, I'll let you know.
0: Cool. One of the things that I, uh, on that note, be- between what I just said, for example, and the starter set, I felt the starter set didn't give enough description to really tell you where you were, which is one of the reasons while we were playing that I actually put the maps where you guys could see them. And I, I think uh, several of us owned the starter set, so we probably knew it anyway, but... Um, to get that map that shows the jagged area with the crevasse and what have you, it's so much easier than when the the narrative of the area says there's a crevasse and it's fifteen feet deep. Right? That, that doesn't really help. Yeah. But at least they had a drawing there that could help paint that picture better.
2: Yeah, it could be painted. What do you think, James? Do you, do you like a lot of description in your worlds? What about NPC description?
1: Um, when. Okay, so I, I do my own world building in my head as well. And I tend to um, build my own world on my own terms. So when someone says something contrary to that, it actually pulls me out. Mm. Um, so there is that. So, so a, The less description, the better in my, in my case.
2: But then so, what happens when there's something that conflicts the picture that you have in your mind?
1: unless it's incredibly story oriented it shouldn't come up.
0: So give me a, like kind of an example of that. Think of a in this is your world now. Mm-hmm. You have a building there. What is the building made of?
1: Um it is a solid hewn stone.
0: So if I walk up to the building as the player mm-hmm. and I say I go up to the building and I start pulling some of the wooden planks off of the wall. Does that mess you up?
1: Yeah, because there's no uh-huh. wooden planks there.
0: All right. And how, how, as part of that description, part of the world description, how how do you prefer to handle that? Um,
1: So, you said as the player, I go up and do that. Um, I purposely step out of that mindset as a DM. That way I can always react to what the players are saying. But when I'm playing, I start building the world in my head. And, like, that's one of the things that's always kind of throwing me off about the dungeon world thing, because... The Dungeon World is so malleable that when I have this world in my head, all of a sudden, you know, Mickey's off doing whatever. and It's like, no, you can't do that.
2: (laughs) 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 To me, when we play Dungeon World, the the world is always in black and white and in shades. I don't know why. D&D is in (laughs) Technicolor. It's a Technicolor. (laughs) This is kind of, I don't know, kind of says something about me. Panavision. D&D is in Technicolor for me. I think Wizard of Oz, like full on bright colors. Cool. But when I play Dungeon World, it's always kind of grays and shades. It's nothing colored in because it's so malleable. And you don't know what the other players are going to do. I mean, we had one where people were flipping all over the place. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is some Matrix shit yeah. going on. You know, so in order to help me play, I have to keep that world kind of black and white and, and yeah. fuzzy. Whereas That's interesting. Yeah. D&D is, it's, d and D. I don't know, it's just more tangible to me. Yeah.
1: It's easier to step into... It's less fantastical.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: The Indies, oddly enough, less fantastical.
2: Um, possibly because it's been around so long and because, I don't know, there's so many references to high fantasy. Yeah, there are. Mm-hmm. It, I guess that's also why it's so so much more tangible it's to me because I can easily relate it to, you know, Wheel of Time.
1: Wheel of Time. you Yeah. You know, King, King Arthur.
2: Yeah. King Arthur. Know,
1: medieval can... fantasy you can see easier.
0: Yes. So some of that comes to then when the description happens, because you're familiar with a rule set, that's easier to fit that description into that. I think JJ, you said before that box, you want you know what the box is. Exactly. And when you step out of it, it can be difficult. Well, and, and when that box is already defined in your book, and somebody describes something that fits the box. You now know how to color it to give it the yes. right color that fits.
1: And, and and like you said, like I just said, in medieval medieval fantasy. You know that's so well fleshed out in our um, in our media in our culture that we understand. Like you know the the knight's tale and like all these other you know shows we can we can mu- we can mimic our actions based off of those t- those things that we've seen. Um, whereas like say steampunk, for example, I haven't done a lot of research on it. all i've ever seen are costumes i'm interested in it, but i don't know how steam like i don't I'm not huge into the Victorian era, mm-hmm. so the maladiees and you know, that yeah. sort of thing, like... You've definitely
0: got to be more pompous. And yeah, <laughs> like,
1: I'm not certain how I should model my behavior in a steampunk setting, or even, like, I don't know, another world setting. Like, right. I, I I, like my boxes, <laughs> and I don't want other people to mess with them. <laughs> I have them stacked up. nicely, Where? don't mess with
2: them. Where's so that stapler?
0: I think <laughs> at some point, we'll go over that whole dungeon world idea, and I think I'd like to explain it more, um... And, and that we'll probably keep for a separate podcast because that'll go way off topic here. But let, let's take uh, let's take another step in. So uh, we we started our adventure, whether it be scripted or not. We have the amount of description that you want in the world, whether it be large or small, black and white, color, and we're in there. All right, so we're in that adventure. It's going on. Things are going well. Um, how important is it? how your character is equipped the specific armor you have the weapons um so and if that equipment is an important feature within that adventure how important is it that the new uh, that you have new equipment as you go through the adventure so i start for example i'm i'm the fighter and at the beginning of the adventure i've got a long sword and leather armor but at the end of the adventure, I want to be decked out in full plate. I want the vorpal sword of dragon slaying plus 20. And I better have a shield that has something awesome inscribed on it. Uh, how important is that when you when, when you go through a campaign?
2: I think it's very important. Because I mean, to me, it, it just adds, <laughs> I want to say it lends more reality to the character. Uh-huh. I love when my character starts off with like you know a regular quarter staff and then along the way comes across this like ancient ruined quarter staff that's like plus 4 to hit i love that and it it creates little treasures throughout the adventure for my character to find it keeps me vested you know it's not just about the team and the ultimate goal there's also little cookies for my character to find along the way so i think that that it just makes it much more fun do those pieces of equipment have to make your
0: character better or just being better in themselves, is that good enough? Like you talk about the regular stick to a rune to staff. Is that does that rune staff have to have a plus ten to be cool or is it no, cool it's, enough? It's cool enough that you know? it's
2: this ancient rune staff that I got as a gift for saving some village from werewolves, you know? It's like this ancient staff that was you know part of a monument that was in with the, the hero of that village and because i went in and saved them from these werewolves they gifted this staff to me how awesome is that
1: yeah, and that's their story to yours
2: yeah so like now the history of that town has my character's name attached to it like what like yeah. you said at the beginning so yeah, it's just it makes it all super cool Super cool. Super cool. I'm out of adjectives. Like, super cool. <laughs> and
1: going, going back to the um, starting small and working your way up, I like the, um, the character progression of levels, and I like the character progression of gaining more powerful items. And I've always disliked starting a high, high level campaign and then just having
0: the players go shopping. <laughs> you know, book you start like, with four hundred thousand gold pieces what, what are you gonna do with what magic items do you
1: and it, that, that just seems so boring to me because then you're going to be min-maxing your character and i i mean min-maxing is all well and good but i like it where you know maybe you have something that doesn't quite work with your character it doesn't quite jive but it still complements the overall thing and because you started using it at level four and you kept using it through level ten, mm-hmm. you you now are it's now in, you know integrated into your character and you can't re- you can't um, go without it because that's what your character does that's his niche yep. or niche niche. <laughs> I never knew. What, I, I I swear I don't know which is it is it niche or niche. No,
0: my no, my sister has two daughters so I have two niches.
2: You have two niches. <laughs> yes. I think
0: it's niche. <laughs> I think it's niche. I think you can pronounce it either way. It either, depends either. on whether you want to pronounce it. Either, uh, either. Like All if right. you want to say gracias or gracias. <laughs> ah, gracias. Sí. gracias. Mucho. Uh,
2: Muchas
0: gracias. So I would say a, a good example of what I think you just were, were mentioning there, JJ. A, a relatively good example. Through our starter set, Sir Walter Moss had a family heirloom great axe. And even though he was presented with a plus one longsword and had opportunities to do something different, uh, Mike felt it was within that character. If it says family heirloom on it, why would I drop that thing? So mm-hmm. he ended up cleaving everything with the great axe right through mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the entire uh, starter set, which I think plays into that point that his character, a, a, the player felt the character had an attachment to an item and therefore kept using it regardless of if it was the best item for the situation. But in that perspective, one thing in talking about equipment, it's something, JJ, you brought up before is... As a GM, I want to make sure then if that player has formed an attachment to that, let's not gimp the character just because they like the great axe. Let's make it a better great axe at level 5 and better again at level 10 and better again so you grow it with them. That's one of the things you've seen me do in
1: one of my adventures where I crafted signature items Mm -hmm. um, to each of the characters to help them along the way. Um, I think there was one point we were doing a campaign with Joe and we had no healer. And I made it is, so How typical
0: is common. it to have a group with no healer? Right? For so us, it's got I,
1: go. I know Joe at the time was playing the tank, so I gave him a way to generate temporary hit points yeah. from his weapon. Yeah. He had to do a certain thing in order to generate them, but it, it, it was it, the option was there.
0: Yeah, it it involved tap dancing and drinking, and it was, uh, (laughs) I did it all the
2: time! But I mean, that that fits into the world, because if you have a character, take Thea. Who is a monk? Right, she starts at level one with her quarter staff. It makes sense that as she evolves, she gets better with right, that particular. It a fifty item.
0: cent staff than a seventy five cent staff. Yes,
2: and, the, and then she uh, she figures out a way to carve special stuff into it. <laughs> <laughs> makes, yeah. Meets a wizard along the way, kicks his ass, and then
1: he no, press a button. Two right. other staffs come out of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and now, in that same vein, and talking about the equipment, achieving that equipment is that uh, when does that feel right is it i found it in a treasure chest after i defeated the dragon does it have to be that epic um maybe not have to be but it's awesome when it is i know but um can it just be that it was uh you were researching in the library found that the the that rune staff that Thea has been wanting that the legendary rune staff that all the monks talked about once upon a time in the library you find that ancient tome and maybe the wizard deciphers the runes in the ancient tome that tells you it's in a lake on the other side of town, and you go and find it. Is that enough? That's or pretty epic. It, yeah. So it doesn't necessarily need to be after defeating the most awesome monster ever. No,
1: no, no it doesn't. Like it's, it's all about the story. Like at least, uh, at least with items in, the, in progression like that, because otherwise, when the next better thing comes on, there's no attachment to the item. Yeah, just chuck it out the window sell it okay here now i get a new thing woohoo
2: yeah no absolutely i, I like that like
1: it's kind of like in wow um mm-hmm. you know i put you know time at the time at the time. i i i i raided and raided and raided until i finally got two of the legendary artifacts and even though they have no place in the game anymore they're still <laughs> taking up space in my bank yeah. cuz i can't get rid of them
0: yeah that's cool. Yeah, and, and that, that brings up a good point because, to me, in a tabletop RPG, that's not something that happens. You don't necessarily – for example, most characters in most campaigns don't have a house. Mm-hmm. So if you happen to keep that quarterstaff you had at level one because it has sentimental value, you're either carrying it with you, uh, probably with a handkerchief tied with all your belongings as mm-hmm. the hobo, mm-hmm. um, or it's just gone. Have, could that be a useful piece of an adventure to actually have a way to retain mementos for your character?
2: Yes I yeah. think so How would that help? It makes with the character immersion? more it makes the character again and I go back to it, it makes the character more real mm-hmm. to me because as the character progresses, there are experiences that shape the personality of that character, so it makes sense that she would keep. I'd say she like yeah. I, it makes sense that Noctra was one of my characters that I I played. remember Noctra that Noctra would keep a she kind of gave token. me the willies by the <laughs> she way. she gave a lot of people the willies <laughs> you know that she would keep yeah. a small like brooch from her hometown that was decimated by by vampires and mm. you know she would keep that throughout her lifetime because it reminds her of why she's on the path that she's on
1: and why she
0: went as far as she and did. and why she
2: went as far as she did. Oh, I hope I get to play Nocturne again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We can always find a way to work. So that's one of
1: the things, like, um, so in the interest of world building, um, it, it also helps the DM when the characters, when the players, you know, give the DM a lot to work with. Like, that's one thing I love about Mickey is whenever we sit down to do a character building concept, you know, I I had this whole worksheet that I have and then it's like okay so how does she grow up and so on and so forth and I I and it helps build a much more real character in her head and that's why she's able to talk about these other people who like their separate personalities because <laughs> there <laughs> there are little slices
2: yeah. of Mickey because I and I I can't speak for everyone who plays D&D this is how he taught really? me Really? You can't? I know. <laughs>
0: Shocker! Try it. Try like, it really. um, it's this,
2: fun. This is how he, Jaden. Right. This is how JJ taught me how to play D and D. And for me, in order to spend four hours playing an RPG, that character has to be real. Which means that character has to have a backstory. There needs to be motivation for why she does the things that she does.
0: So, w- with that, when we talk about Building that character, and this kind of goes back to that that sidebar that I recorded with Curtin and, and Mike, in that we talked about the backstory. One of the things that we did talk about as far as, as Joe is concerned, as far as i 'm concerned, if you give me a backstory that 's going to show up in the game there's no no, no chance it won 't so if you don't want it to show up, if it's a secret, please don't tell me, because it's going to be there. Um, the, the example that I give is a real-world example in that the Dungeon World game that um, that I run on the Mondays slash Tuesday nights that Mike is part of. One of the characters had written in that he made a deal with a demon to be able to become the druid in the in the Dungeon World uh, game that we were running, uh, but we went three months and he never mentioned it. So one day, when the wizard happened to die, and he went to the Black Gates, which is the way it works in Dungeon World, when you're reduced to zero hit points, you go talk to death. Oh, nice. And death can make a bargain with you. And death made the bargain with this guy, with the wizard, and it was, look, the druid owes me a few souls, you go collect, and I'll let you go back to living. So I made the character bring forth the background the backstory that he didn't uh that he didn't bring up himself so i'll do that (laughs) but but part of that too is as we're playing every game session introduces more now backstory as a new session happens what happened last week is now history for your character and i try to make sure that keeps coming up now when you're playing in an adventure How important is it that, so say in the first session, you help the merchant clear the rats out of the cellar. How important is it later on that that comes back in some way or another?
2: Uh, I don't think it has to come back unless it somehow moves the story forward in a new way. I mean, because you come across so many people and adventures, I think it would get boring if you try to bring everything back. Mm -hmm. But if for some reason that connection that you made with that merchant is pivotal mm-hmm. to the story, then it makes sense to, to bring it back. This, so,
0: the, so let's let's take that the same example. So you you've helped the the merchant out, and now you've gone I don't know ten sessions later in the game. You're several levels higher. You're more badass. Your badassery meter bad- has gone it's up over nine thousand. Has right. gone up several notches and. You go back to that town again, which you haven't visited in and, and game terms, maybe a year, and that merchant has died. Does that matter to your character?
1: How did he die?
0: That, that's, that, that's a good point. How, that what, what, that, it, that it, question it, itself means it matters to your character, right? Exactly, because it, right. it, if, if he died natural causes,
1: you know, okay, that's a shame. But if he died as a ramification of our actions... Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, there's probably going to be some. There's some reckoning. You know, we at the one reckoning. point cared about him. We will make sure that recollections, you know, recompenses, uh, recompenses. is distributed.
2: Yeah. Cool.
1: So, yeah, you're right. It, it doesn't matter how small um, the backstory piece is, if you can tie it back in again and make it. You know, that, that would be a very interesting thing, especially if it was like the first emotional attachment that we made to the world.
0: Right mm-hmm. when you when you finish that first one, sticking with the same example, you've helped. Um, you know, uh, a Merchant Millie. She had all these problems with the uh, rats infesting her basement. You help her out, and at the end, she's so grateful, and she starts calling you by your first name. And it turns out the store she runs is one that has the best beef jerky in town. And oh, he, Mama that, Millie! <laughs> exactly. So Millie's beef jerky is the best in town, and that's where you go every time you go to stock up and. Uh, a year goes by. You're going back to that same town. You're heroes of the world, or at least of the region. And Millie's dead, and you realize at that point, wow, that's someone we started with, someone we grew up with,
2: and Mama Millie's with? gone. Yeah. Right? I want to know who killed Mama Millie. Exactly. Or
0: well, if she, or can.
2: or what, if she died right. of natural causes, is, that's one thing. But if something happened to her, I'm gonna kick whoop some ass. Whoop some ass. <laughs> whoop some <laughs> ass. It's so, it's we did say tab.
0: that would be explicit right, right? exactly um <laughs> i don't know Sorry. ass is, yeah. ass is totally say, legal yeah. ass 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 ass
1: <laughs> hey, you can say ass you just can't say a hole afterwards
0: <laughs> Thank you you can't say asshole no <laughs> oh damn it oh, that sucks
1: they always bleep it out on the radio don't <laughs> say ass
0: bleep hole <laughs> <laughs> ass bleep hole
2: got me right in the ass bleep hole Oh, yeah, yeah. All Um, right. Totally off topic now. So
0: with that, so uh, actually, well, we'll, I'll use that as a a shoehorned segue into this next piece I want to mention, the last piece I have up on the the screen here. But so um, Mother Millie died, right? Mama Millie, uh, the beef jerky queen of the West, is now dead. And it turns out that somebody caused it. It wasn't natural causes. And you're the badass. So you want to go kick their ass. So that may be a pivotal point of what your character, what your character class does maybe is kick ass, right? As the mm-hmm. monk, that's, I mean, you walk into the room, ass get kicked. Asses get ass kicked. Is getting kicked. Right. Uh, how important is it in an adventure that there are specific situations that only your character class can handle?
2: Hmm. I'll let you start, James.
0: You want me to
1: start? Okay. Um, so as long as those um, elements don't become annoying, because you
0: You mean like i can only do this but only if i roll a 10 and i haven't rolled a 10 all freaking night and yeah like you you don't
1: you don't want to um stymie the story um based off a roll um but if you can have something extra happen like it's the story is going to progress anyways but the story will progress easier if someone can do a thing Mm -hmm. that's okay Um, At the same time, when I was beginning DMing, you know, I had a habit of, you know, trapping everything. (laughs) And it got to the point where, you know, the road would go up to the door. Okay, I check for traps. All right. There, you don't see anything. All right. I peek inside the keyhole. Boom. You don't see anything. All right. I touch the doorknob lightly. You don't see anything. All right. Are the hinges on this side or that side? And, like, it, it got <laughs> yeah, to the like, i for- I, I, made, I made the realization that yeah. because I've been trapping everything and giving this rogue so much to do, they were now paranoid. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> and so that's why I say, by, you know, don't overdo it. Make mm-hmm. it so there was something extra. So, you know, there's an extra piece of loot at the end of the thing because they were able to open that one treasure chest. It's not necessary.
0: So let me reframe it a little because I'm thinking. <laughs> the the way that you're answering it isn't the way i intended it but i like the answer regardless my thought is what well, is your volume okay okay never mind i freaking rock i noticed um, <laughs> my my thought and in, in the question was is it important for your character to be in the spotlight because of your skill set yes <laughs> and, and solely because of your skill set so no. for example no. And, that, and this is my point. So when that trap comes up, is it important that the rogue handles it? Or is it just
2: important that the trap is handled? It's, it's just important that the, important that the trap, trap is, is handled. handled. Okay. It's even better when the rogue handles it. Because, I mean, I'm self-centered. I like <laughs> cookies, you know? I yeah. like my character to do cool things. So when she can go in and you know disarm the trap and pick the unpickable lock that's awesome
0: so it it is important then by by what you just said what i would rephrase my question then it is important then that your character is highlighted but not that the story stops if your character fails correct okay yeah so if there's a magic book out there and the wizard can't read it then that someone should still be able to pick it up and bring it back to town yeah. so a librarian can decipher it. Or like,
1: Correct. I I remember a um, combat, if you remember it, in Asheville. We were living in Asheville. And you were playing Thea. It was like one of the first really times you played high-level Thea. Mm-hmm. And you went flying off into uh, the distance yes. and disabled the <laughs> trap that was causing an ice field yes. around the whole combat. And it helped um, make the combat for the rest of the, pe- for the, the party easier. easier. It wasn't necessary to disarm, but no. you just you took it upon yourself to go and disarm
2: it. Because elves ignore difficult terrain. And, and <laughs> it sounds like at that point no
0: other character or class in that party could have done that. Eventually True. they would have gotten there. But not and with taken the expediency. Correct. And the skill. And they would have
2: taken a lot more damage, and because my character Theo is the badass that she is, she was able to go there, disarm it within a, a couple of rounds, mm-hmm. and everybody, the rest of the party, was like, oh, "That was awesome," mm-hmm. you know.
1: Yeah. So, like, you know, having those little um, extra cookies is cool. It definitely helps, like I said, build character
0: so bringing highlights to the character regardless of the class something that character is special at something that character feels a sense of pride or accomplishment at yeah. doing because they can do it they're the good ones at it. yeah um, and,
1: and something i like to do as a dm is like tailor each session to a different character mm-hmm. like have a story arc for one character and then the next story arc is for another character and that way everyone shares the spotlight that way it's not always on yeah like it it, it also depends on the table too cuz there was a table where Joe was part of and there were some um people that were very introverted and never really spoke
0: really yeah.
1: so you know like it i could never draw them out of their shells but Joe being who he is he's pretty ba- pretty <laughs> badass he's uh he's extrovert enough for all of us
0: <laughs> I, you know the funny part is i'm actually shy <laughs> When we get together and play, though, I am so pumped up from playing. And I mentioned this, and for anyone who's listening, if you haven't checked out the couple of videos we've got up on YouTube, go check them out, because I don't sit still in my seat the whole time, and it's so much fun to watch. Super pumped. Yeah, I get excited watching myself playing a game. (laughs) Uh, But but I I definitely agree with that. That whole point of trying to bring out the character from the player. Mm Mm-hmm. And as far as creating, when you're creating that adventure, going to the topic, when you're creating it and you're thinking of the people who are playing and the characters who are playing. So if you know maybe that introvert is a wizard Mm -hmm. and um, that wizard has a specific familiar and you can bring that familiar into the story, that may be a way to pull that player into the story as well. So things like that, I think, can definitely help when you're when you're constructing your adventure for your specific players.
1: Yeah, like I remember there was one campaign I was running, and I was really really proud of myself. It, it was very short lived, but we we started fairly high up, and like the one character, um, you know, kamikaze to save everybody else. So then I did the, that once. Was it? I didn't
0: know I was going to kill myself, but I did it
1: once. But then the rest of the um, party, the next session. We're like, okay, we need to go save this guy. We are going down to right, the so that wasn't me. fourth no level of hell to, me. you know, save this guy. And they, you know, and, and so I was like, okay, wow, um, um, <laughs> well, well, okay. Then. I thought you were going to re-roll a new character. I didn't realize we were going to keep the same. Ki- okay, uh, let's do it. <laughs> and like they took that from me, and I learned from that. Like, okay, so he he forcibly took the spotlight on himself, mm-hmm. and now let's keep it there. And let's let's rescue him. The story is now about him, and so and then you know when someone else steps into the spotlight, let's shift the story to them. But again, it it depends on the strength of the characters and what or the players actually whether or not they they're willing to step into that spotlight
0: and not just step into the spotlight, but also so I could imagine that player sat back for probably a session while everyone else went and saved his character. And he's just witnessing the story unfold because he probably had not much action in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to, as the person who is currently uh, a prisoner in hell, the fourth plane of hell or whatever it may be. Um, I'm not doing much. I'm probably sitting there completely bound and I'm waiting for my fellow party members who have now taken it upon themselves to rescue me. So at the table that player's is probably saying go guys go, go, actually,
1: guys we, go. I actually i actually I, I anticipated that and he was incorporeal while the rest of the players were corporeal mm-hmm. so he was able to help where he could when they had to fight other incorporeal things
0: cool mm-hmm.
1: um and there, there were certain switches that had to be pulled while only a dead person could pull because they had to reach through a wall to pull the switch to open the door and stuff like that so like i Included him where I could, so at least he wasn't sitting there fiddling the thumbs.
0: And you, JJ, just gave me something that I had not put up on here that I wish I had. Splitting the party. Uh. All right, so there are adventures written and adventures that I run, and I know JJ's run as well, where it is inevitable that the party gets split up. And how do you handle that? So, Mickey, from the player's perspective, what is that like when the party splits up at the table?
2: It? it's nerve-wracking for me it's nerve-wracking cuz you know you you're you've gotten used to your your group of 4 or 5 and all of a sudden you've got to split up um what's going to happen will, will will i see them again <laughs> ever <laughs> will i yeah. will i see them again ever it's it's a little nerve-wracking cuz you know i build attachment to attachments to characters um it adds a level of intrigue to a game, definitely, when you split the party and everyone kind of goes, or groups go in their separate ways, and now I have to, especially when it's early on in the game and you're not really certain of the intent or the intentions of the other person, is is this person really whom they have professed to be all this time, or are they going to stab me in the back now that everyone else is gone, you know? Right. It, adds, it, it could be really cool, but nerve-wracking at the same time. So so I guess it, I don't really have an opinion yet. I,
0: if, you had, um, if you had the opportunity to describe an adventure you liked, how would it, how would it splitting the party work out? Like, and I'll, I'll try and set up what I mean here. As If I were to, if Joe, as I were to create an adventure, and I know at some point in the adventure you guys are going to reach this spot and only one of the player characters can fit through this little spot in the side of the mountain and of course it's going to be the smallest one, right? And it's probably going to be the halfling that makes you play. Green bottle. Right. So that the only way the adventure progresses right now apparently is for the smallest character to fit through this little spot. It's going to split them up. How important is it to get everyone back together as quickly as possible, as slowly as possible uh, from the player's perspective? Say you're the one that gets through so you're going to get all the spotlight for a little while but how important is it to get
2: back to the cohesiveness of the group i think it's very important to get back to the cohesiveness cohesiveness of the group because otherwise you're just by yourself in this fantasy world and it becomes a bedtime story versus (laughs) you know i love that analogy you know versus an rpg Mm -hmm. what do you Um,
1: think one thing i've noticed like when because mickey's always been in one of my games now that you know we've been together and i've noticed that whenever i do a party um she becomes much more wary. Mm-hmm. So when she has her full party behind her, she's not afraid of being all uppity. <laughs> but as soon as you know she gets all split off, she's I will like, "So
0: kick your ass!"
1: Yeah, she's she's yeah. she's much more polite to the NPCs. <laughs> yes, yes, we could probably do that. No, yeah. I don't want to barter. I'm okay with that I'm price. I'm okay with that <laughs> price. <laughs> like. like <laughs> when, it's <true. laughs> when she's got the party backing her up she's like no 50 <laughs> gold that's yeah. it
0: so she's got the whole party there and she's like I'm gonna kick your ass so pretty she's much there. so she's there alone, I just realized
1: says. that Mickey's a thug <laughs> can you? when she's got her crew behind her
0: <laughs> can you turn around so that I may kick your ass please <laughs> pretty much yeah that's cool <laughs> JJ as GM or DM how have you handled splitting the party up and getting them back together when, when it's part when it's a designed part of your adventure. Of course, the players are going to make it happen, whether you want it to or not. But when you intended it, like that example I gave, when you purposely split the party.
1: Um, it was really interesting. Um, the, uh, the one party I was doing, it with, they, they loved splitting up. Like, they all loved doing their own thing. And they, we had these gigantic notebooks. And the, say, um, Carrie and Josh would go off and do something. And they'd write down what they were doing the entire time. And then they would hand it back to me when they came back to the table. And this this is the conversation we had. This is this is this is how our story is progressing. And I'm like, okay, yeah. And then so um when the when the when the players want to send secret messages to each other, um, it's hard to um as a DM keep the story going because they now have full control of the story. <laughs> And yeah. you had to let them run its course before they, you know, give it back to the DM to keep driving it. Um, so it's it's kind of like you know you guys are on a road trip and ooh, there's that big the biggest ball of yarn ever. We got to go look at that. Yeah. <laughs> and so the story Shiny stops, object. and you know it now becomes it is totally in the, within the players' control. Mm-hmm. And as a DM, you just kind of had to sit back and let everything unfold and glean from whatever you can to you know add into the story
0: i like that that point and i would say that i I am that that gm that says no you can't have a private conversation (laughs) well and i know i have upset players with this if you're passing a note from player a to player b i want to see it because that may not fit what's actually happening and you know it, it It can become difficult, especially in a scripted adventure where you need to go from point A to point Z with all of the points in between. And the players start saying, you know what, we want to get to point you know a and a half and it's like but that doesn't exist uh, but they they've got this whole plan and they've worked it out and they've spent half an hour and it's like all right we're going to go talk to to you know uh mother millie and we're going to convince her to make pork jerky instead of beef jerky I'm like but that that's that doesn't exist anywhere we Mama's can't gone right and and she's dead for that matter i mean right so one of the things that I've had is it's a standing rule at, the, at, at my tables that players don't pass secret notes without me seeing them.
1: Well, how about that one time where I passed you a secret note? Oh, that's another one, right. <laughs> is that, is that, is that yeah. one of those lessons you learned from?
0: Well, that is a, that's learning a player. So, yes, I learned from it. But I learned at that point that <laughs> that player was incompatible with my life.
1: Fair enough. (laughs)
0: Um, It was incompatible with the way I wanted to play the game. Uh, It it was uh, a lot of interesting people conversation and not very much gameplay. So that made it kind of difficult. But I think when it comes to that, especially if you have a prepared adventure or you're running an adventure that may not even be prepared, when players start talking amongst each other, it's very important to make sure they include the person running the game because otherwise what they're discussing may or may not even be applicable to what's happening.
1: This is true. But the difficulty for me is I'm, I am harder hearing and sitting at the end of the table. I can't always overhear what everyone's saying. Like I, I had to very intimately focus on someone's lips Mm -hmm. in order to read into what they're saying. So, um, when it's in a group setting like that and there's multiple conversations going on, for the for the sake of the story, I want them to get it over with as soon as possible. Yeah. At the same time You guys have your fun and let's move on. Right? Exactly. Like it's it's okay, yeah, you guys are doing your own story thing. I get that. But let's move on now
0: and on that note how is it i mean you've gotten headphones we've been able to turn stuff up you probably heard everything okay here. yeah yeah we're, we're, i'm good on refreshing.
1: this this is very refreshing it's cool. almost like having hearing aids again
0: nice we to turn the headphones up as much as you
1: want <laughs> yeah it is nice
0: <laughs> which of course then helps to deteriorate the hearing even further but yeah I, i'm actually losing mine as well but yeah. anyway um so we've covered a lot here. Uh, we've got a few minutes left. Is there anything that you guys want to uh, add here? And again, a, a lot of this hopefully will help as we get into our Dungeon World game uh, where what you've uh, voiced here will help me actually put things that you like into the adventure that we have.
2: I'd like to hear from the audience like on some yeah. of these points. And also I'd love if we could work it in. Have a character building session together where you pull out your hundred questions on building <laughs> a character, and we'll go yeah. through that because I think I find it a very enriching experience for building I've got characters. A cool
0: form like that too. I'd be curious uh, how yeah. close it is, but uh, the, yeah, some of that character building stuff is a lot of fun to do. Yeah, yeah. I, I do like as far as when we start our dungeon world campaign, the first podcast will be character creation. It may only be an hour. And that, that kind of stifles it a little bit, but we'll have that as part of the release.
1: Yeah, like that's one of the things where I haven't decided what class I want to play for the next Dungeon World thing. So I haven't really just, I had to decide on a class, then I choose a no. personality. I can't choose a personality <laughs> and then go for a class. It doesn't work uh, for me like that. I, no? I, I work the other way around. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so another, I had to choose a I mean, class and build a personality is around is it. Not just the personality, but think of the person you want to be? Is it you know? Is it the so, so you know the uppity the,
1: the personality that I want to play is the uh, one I played back in two thousand two, and it was Octacathokathi.
2: Oh, oh, <laughs> Octacathokathi. That sounds like Klingon <laughs> to me anyway. And, oh,
1: and he ended up being called Strong Dawn.
2: Oh, oh that, right. strong so you dog. played
0: that character? That's your barbarian that character name when we did the uh, play test
2: hmm so i want to play somebody evil again but not evil evil <laughs> <laughs> just so, kind of evil yeah somebody
1: so, who does so briask that, Breesque. that
2: Breesque was just conniving i loved her yeah, yeah, <laughs> at the yeah, end by the cool. end i loved yeah. her she was just out for herself Forget all 'all. (laughs) y'all.
1: I'm stealing those rubies. I'm stealing those emeralds. (laughs) And the ceiling
0: collapses. That was an awesome (laughs) end, I think. It would have been awesome if the ceiling had collapsed and killed everyone. That would have been perfect.
2: That would have looted the bodies and walked out. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, actually, let's end on that note. As far as an adventure, we have now played the Dungeons & Dragons starter set from start to finish, skipping all kinds of stuff that didn't make the podcast entertaining. But... We played it all the way through. JJ, if you had to pick your favorite part that was part of the adventure, what would it be? Favorite because part, I know my part favorite part was the players, but as part of the adventure, I would pick something else.
1: Um, when we, the first time we encountered a doppelganger yeah. and, uh, like they came in, he came in as the drowl and flipped the switch beneath the bed and... I just immediately took off after him and started pinging him with Freezing Ray yeah. and slowing <laughs> yeah. his movement speed. And then someone else chased out after me with me. And we just left <laughs>
0: the two other people in the room to <laughs> yeah. deal with the ogre. I think Kurt was the second one out there uh, <laughs> and, with, with Thor. Right?
2: <laughs> and and, <laughs> and Bree was in there going, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Like
1: that, I, yeah. I, I really, because that's exactly, yeah. what was that? Like as the yeah. erudite inquisitive wizard, what was that? Go, go, find out what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Go, go,
0: gadget legs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Like, it was go, go, gadget.
0: So now what, what, I'll expand on that. Behind the scenes, the part of the adventure that made that happen was it did say within the adventure, uh, and this goes to the content and the creation of the adventure, it said that um, if, the, if things are going poorly, then this doppelganger disguised as a drow would grab the map and run. And that's what happened. So, so that was the that was actually scripted into the adventure, and that caused that that nice moment to happen. That that memorable piece, Mickey. If you had to pick, because you do know, my
2: favorite part. (laughs) I think when we came up on the Red Brands at the pub, and there was a couple of them. Giant tap house. Yeah, and there were a couple of them on the porch, and she just she started talking shit just right out the bat. Again, (laughs) the thug, thug. Mickey Mickey the thug. (laughs) And you know...
1: She's got her friends behind her.
2: I I would say
0: that was half of the memorabilia there was solely mickey because really when we approached as as the table when we approached that situation you were like i know greg he owes me money i'm gonna kill that motherfucker right yeah it was like you injected that into the situation which mm-hmm. to me raised the level of involvement everybody else was like wow Bree knows this guy It's gonna be cool gonna kick his ass. right now, um, the little one-shot we just did,
1: where the headache thing, you know, um, as a party, and if you, if, it, if it had been a continuing story, you know, having crew be the last one up and you know slaughter everyone, <laughs> and then you know he sh- shakes everyone else awake, I think that would add yeah. a lot to the character development there yeah. too, and into the world development.
0: I would t- I would say at the end of that episode. If Crew woke up anyone other than Saunders first, he'd have been in trouble because yeah. he was the one that knocked out <laughs> everyone else. <Yeah. laughs> Saunders got beat up by the invisible stalker, but he yeah. was the only one Crew didn't hit, and if he woke up Theo first,
2: Thea yeah, but, wouldn't get and his and last that's what walloped into him.
1: <laughs> that's what we're talking about, how right. the encounters can yeah. help shape the characters themselves, which is why you want to start small and build up to.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. And I'll say for my for my part running uh, as the dungeon master for the starter set, my favorite part, and it's I'm going to kind of weasel out of this a little bit because I'm not going to name a specific part, but it was the way that the players adapted to what was happening in the story. So as players, you guys, you know, you rushed in after the goblins and then we had to re-record, and it was like, oh we need to be a lot more cautious with <laughs> the goblins this time, right? Uh-huh. And... Then we get to the Goblin Hideout, and Mike, as a player, says, you know, I'm going to do this crocodile Dundee thing on the wolves. And, <laughs> and, and like, like that, that That was a weird adaptation. And and I'm, I'm naming the things that are actually in the adventure. So it's in the adventure. If somebody uses animal handling on these wolves, this happens. Um, and then, <laughs> after getting through the wolves, there's a garbage chute, and everyone's like, we're going up the, to- the garbage chute! <laughs> <shoot."> and... <laughs> Right. It was one of the times to pick on Thea because, uh, not Thea, Bree Brie is like, I'm going right up there. It's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. so as we went, banana right, As we went through, each of the players and characters kind of adapted to the changes in, in the actual adventure. And I thought that... Wizards of the Coast did a decent job in making the adventure like that. So there were new things that came up each time. When we got to Wyvern Tor, and it's specifically listed in the adventure that if somebody takes out the lone orc guard outside this happens, this is good, everyone gets a surprise round, and Bree says, One you know shot. what, I see him, I'm going to take him out. <laughs> and <laughs> It just works that way.
1: And then, you know, where she had been going first, I went first, I teleported up and blasted everyone out the window. Right.
0: You go to the, the goblin castle, the Cragmaw castle, mm-hmm. and Ferris goes in, like I had described it, he goes in and he blasts the goblin outline on the wall, <laughs> and the goblins are just gone, and there's just outlines in the charred spots on the wall. The, the way the characters, the way the players and the characters adapted. And somebody had said, it, I, I can't remember who used the words, but as you got into the Cragmore Castle, it felt like it was a well-oiled machine at that point. Yeah, it did. It felt and, like we were right. still Team Six.
2: Yeah. So we've been that playing a lot together. We evolved. You learn each other's quirks.
0: Mm-hmm. And that goes to what, what you said earlier, JJ, where it's, it's the goblins, then the hobgoblins, mm-hmm. and then the orcs. And, the, and that's really what that progression became as you ended up at that castle and then further on.
2: They know what they're doing when they put these games together. <laughs> they they kind of do, they don't do. they? It's they
0: like should. They've they been doing years. it since the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So with that, I think we can uh, finish up this sidebar podcast about content and adventure creation. So that hopefully this can help anybody when you're putting together an adventure for your players. Or if you are a player and you want more than what we've talked about here in an adventure, go ahead and find us at adventuresfromtheshed.com. Uh, You can also find us on the Google community. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're all over the place. We've soiled ourselves on the internet. And you can find us out there and leave us comments. Um, If you've got anything else you'd like to add to this, please go ahead and do so. In the meantime, I think we're going to say. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. Enos. Enos. We
1: hope our ideas spark your imagination when creating adventures and developing your characters. Now that you've heard our views, share yours on our website, adventuresfromtheshed.com, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.
0: The preceding podcast was brought to you by Shedcast. You can find us online at adventuresfromtheshed.com.